1: In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 56 through 60.
0: Father, we just praise you for who you are. We're overwhelmed as we just begin to get a glimpse of not only your power and your knowledge, but your love for us that you care so much is to involve yourself in each of our lives. We thank you, Father, for bringing us to this moment in time. And we pray that your purpose would be accomplished here right now with us this evening as we commit ourselves into your hands in the name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're continuing our review of the book of Psalms. And tonight we'll be exploring Psalm 56 through 60. A number of short ones. And uh, one of the, as you realize, just by way of perspective... We're actually paging through a hymnal. This was Israel's hymnal. And uh, it's really poetry, but laced with strong theology. And not only historical implications, but future implications, laced all through here. The Hebrew term for this book really means praises. And 55 of the 150 are specifically addressed to the chief musician. These were intended to be sung. Unfortunately, we don't have through the centuries. uh, Only a few clues as to the kind of instruments and how they did it. So we're really missing the musical side of this. The Greek term, of course, uh, came from uh, a poem to be sung or a stringed instrument with a samoy or saltar a harp or string. Either way, out of that, the English term psalms has emerged. And uh, there are 150 of these. 73 of them are specifically ascribed to David, um, there are a handful that are anonymous, many of which we believe were also written by David. Um, twelve by the Asaph, who was the head of the choir, and twelve by the sons of Korah, who were also uh, obviously uh, major players in the Levitical musical scene there. A couple of them are ascribed to Solomon, and then there's a few others, including one by Moses. So they're very diverse. And uh, they are apparently collected in five books. Each book has, ends with a benediction in a very specific way. And so most scholarly uh, treatments uh, treatments of the Psalms will deal with these five books. Some of them, because they're five, even parallel them with the Torah, the five books of Moses. They suggest that the first 41, which are a collection of the book one, are about man, so they call it the Genesis one. And the next handful are about deliverance, the next by about focus on the sanctuary, next uh, uh, on the wandering through the wilderness, that sort of thing, and then the Word of God, and, and then what we are in that second book. I might point out that if you take the book of Psalms and call it five books, which it is, then you don't have 66 books, you've got 70 that make up the Bible. But if I go around telling people the 70 books of the Bible, I'll get them all confused. So I stay with the 66 uh, count, which is what obviously most collections have. Now, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy labeling, um, I personally am very ambivalent about. I don't quite, as I wade through them, I don't see them that comfortably labeled. So, I don't mention, I'm missing something, but if you're going through them and don't see something, don't be concerned. Others sort of like those labelings. There are five books, that's fine, but one of the problems we have as we go through this is the diversity of the Psalms. And they're really not intellectual exercises, they're devotional exercises. Our whole style is to go through the Bible verse by verse, expositionally. The first thing you do with the text is you go through exegesis, that is, what is it saying? That's a translational kind of quest. But once having done that, then the next step is, okay, what does the text mean? And most of our studies for 60 years have been expositional, verse by verse, uh, you know what's the significance of each verse what's the history behind it what subtleties are there what double meanings might there be that sort of thing well we're going through psalms that way but they don't lend themselves to that it's not as if that around every corner there's a surprise these things are just of David's heart and uh, so we need to recognize this is a little different kind of study and no way by just us expositing the verses do you really glean the psalms the way you need to glean the psalms is really meditate yourself personally with them There are, as we try to create a paradigm of of devotion, obviously the Psalms have to do with the past and the way we explore the past. Many of them are clearly labeled and some of them are inferential as emerging from David's predicaments. He, He spent many years fleeing from a king who was trying to kill him and the king's officers who were conspiring against him, even to where he actually had to be a fugitive going through the wilderness. And then in his early um, reign at Hebron, um, it was troubled times. And then his own son led a rebellion against him and, and drew quite a following. So a lot of David's life was in great anguish. And the Psalms are his heart during those dark times. And one of the things we need to understand is that you and I probably... And won't fully appreciate the Psalms un- unless, or I might say until, we've been in dark times. I'm sure some of you have gone through. I get a lot of nodding heads. You have a, lot of, a lot of us, all of us, have gone through dark valleys. And anyone who has not been through one of those dark valleys can speak of the Psalms only as the blind speak of color. The way you really meet God is when he meets you in one of those predicaments of whatever kind they might be medical, they might be financial, they might be whatever uh... that's when we really uh, 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 God uses those times but anyway we need to, uh, if we look at the uh... the parody of the Psalms, the past of course is is part of the picture in some cases we just make uh, educated guesses, some cases it's quite clear where they emerged from from David's predicament, and specifically his motives. Where is his heart? And there's times that he really calls out for God to avenge him, his enemies. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Indeed. And if you've got a vengeance problem, give it to the Lord. You know That's what David does, really. They're called imprecatory psalms. And There's also psalms where David knows that God is taking him to the woodshed. And he deals with those. But there's uh, most of us uh, challenge as we go through the Psalms is to try to get some glimmer as to how does this impact today, especially Israel today. These are Israel Psalms. The focus is Israel and God's people. Some of them can be broadened to God's people in the church sense, and you can do that cautiously, but that fits some situations. But how does this fit, uh, impact to, today? The real value for every one of us is, is the personal value. How does this, any particular psalm, impact you today? And that'll depend a lot on where you're at, what problems you have. There's a psalm that you may read, and oh, that's pretty good, that's fine, you'd move on. And maybe six months from now, that psalm may become one of the dearest possessions in your life. One of the things I haven't bothered to do, uh, there are some commentaries that make a list, they, in fact, there are a compendium. Of famous people and whose psalm was they, you know, uh, was their favorite, and I uh, I started to get into that, and then I realized they really have little meaning unless you happen to be really a student of history, and so it's it it, it I began to feel that a lot of that's from from our point of view a bit of a, a you know, tangent, but there it's interesting to realize that almost all the famous people, in many many countries, not just America, uh, were people of the Bible, and people who. Em- immerse themselves in the psalms and uh, but the real question is how does it, and, and that won't impact you unless you do the same thing knowing that george washington did this or king henry the did that is not important uh, unless you happen to be tracking those it's really important is how's it's affecting you personally but there's another side to the psalms that is really startling and exciting and that's the prophetic implications and the best known ones of course are the messianic ones There's a handful of psalms that clearly, astonishingly, speak of Jesus Christ. Details of his life. One psalm, 22, it's as if he's hanging on the cross that we went through some time ago. This is by way of review. Some of you have joined recently, so I'm just using the springboard to get warmed up here a little bit. But there's one psalm that sounds as if it was dictated as he hung on the cross. I mean, the first person singular. Astonishing piece of work. Especially since it was written 700 years before crucifixion was invented. But there are many, many, many psalms that are messianic, and the ones that we call messianic are the ones that are quoted as such in the New Testament. There are some psalms that we regard as messianic. We don't necessarily classify them that way because they're not necessarily quoted in the New Testament that way. But there are several dozen that are, and those are those we call messianic. But what's often overlooked, even by many good commentators, is another form of prophetic that I'll call Dispensational. And we looked at a few of those there, and 45 is clearly the marriage supper of the Lamb and so forth. And uh so you can call them messianic, but they, they really hang on a dispensational perspective. Now many readers who don't you don't have a dispensational perspective aren't gonna be it's not a critical thing, but if you have, I think many of those will shock you as how clear that all emerges. So those are all possibilities, past, present, and future, so to speak. And uh so okay, now Having said all that, I want to issue a caveat, a caveat. We know that in the scripture, the animals that were regarded as clean or useful for sacrifice were animals that chewed the cud. And that I'm not, I think the Holy Spirit is intentionally dealing with a pun here. Because you and I are instructed to chew the cud. Thy words were found and I did eat them, Jeremiah says, and so does John virtually in Revelation 10 and so on. You don't learn a psalm by skimming over it the way we do in the survey. We'll read some and so forth, and then, okay, fine, you move on. No, 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 no. What we should be doing is spending an hour on each one. But then we end up with a cumbersome product that isn't going to be that useful on your library shelf, so to speak. If you really want to, you know, we're trying to just give you this, The purpose of this is to get a perspective. The way you get into a certain psalm is to take the psalm and read it over 50, 60 times, whatever. Chew the cud, immerse yourself in the Psalms, and you'll discover God uses that in a mighty way. Chewing the cud was the key to clean sacrifices, and if you're going to sacrifice yourself in, in that sense, using that idiomatically, God, you, you immerse yourself. What we're trying to avoid here, we're trying to highlight some of the background that you might miss just by going through them, but I don't want to get into what might be called analysis Paralysis. There are scholars that get so tangled up in the translational subtleties or this or that, you miss the point, and I hope we won't be guilty of that. So I'd rather err the other way, because uh, the, the, the details, the technicalities, can serve to blindfold you from what the real message is, what the real message is. So we're looking for prayerful absorption rather than intellectual dissection. And so let's, we'll try to keep that in mind as we go. But what we're hoping to achieve through this whole exercise is to expose you to what should be for you a gateway to his presence in a way that probably no other portions of the word of God are. And there's many, many roles and missions of many portions of scripture, but the Psalms are heart material. Okay, let's take Psalm 56 for the, this thing this evening. This is a, we're going to enter a delightful cluster of psalms that are known as mechtam, psalms. There's, the word means substantial or enduring. Uh, it technically means engraven or permanent. So these are very special. And uh, in Psalm uh, uh, 57, verse 7, that's coming up, uh, David says, My heart is fixed. Permanent, it's, it's immovable. And that's, that's sort of the thought that's behind a mictum. And so, in uh, Dilish, the famous uh, expositor, called Psalm 56, the cheerful courage of a fugitive. That's the way he summarizes a psalm. So this does sound very much like it's David in his experiences as a fugitive. And it also may be viewed as prophetical in the sense of Israel's experience in the future. As a message for today, so it has both characteristics. It was in an hour of deep despair, David fled to the Philistine city of Gath. And his, he didn't get a good reception there. They, they were very apprehensive about him. In fact, he finally had to resort to pretend to be insane to escape. That's all in 1 Samuel 21, his background. And Psalm 34 that we reviewed some time ago came out of the same experience, we think. In Psalm 55, David wished that he had the wings of a dove so that he could fly away into the wilderness, you may recall. Well, that's, uh, that's sort of what, uh, in this psalm, his desire seems to be realized. And uh, some people would view this psalm also uh, as a picture of the Great Tribulation. That's the dispensational perspective that some people would glean from this psalm. So let's just jump in. There's a superscription which says, To the chief musician upon the... Jonathan, which is uh, 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 a, 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 a michtum of David when the Philistines took him in Gath. Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me, O thou most high. This is from David's heart. He's fleeing. He's a fugitive. And he's got serious enemies that are out to kill him sanctioned by the king, commissioned by the king to do that very thing. So I think most of us have probably not been in quite that serious a predicament. But when we are in a serious predicament, I think we can begin to relate to what he is experiencing here. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. One of the consistent things we find in David, that's the reason God can say of David, there's a man after my own heart. That David... He'll stumble and make mistakes, but his focus is invariably on God. His trust is in God. All the way through here, part of the psalm's declaration is David's continuing, unqualified, trust in God. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. And uh, No, he admits he's afraid. That's probably the first step in bravery, is to admit you, the fear. And, uh, but he, even though he is fearful, he trusted the Lord to take care of him. And I personally, vividly, remember being in that kind of a predicament. Where I was literally suicidal. I was terrified, and I was literally suicidal. And the only thing that kept me alive was trusting him. He either is in charge or he's not. And I was confronted with that daily. So I know the feeling. And I hope I never forget that feeling. I don't want to repeat that period. But I don't want to ever forget it. The reality of that period. In God I will praise His word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. I think anybody that's been a professional soldier, anyone that's been in the military in a serious sense, understands that. You can argue that being a soldier is in the most noble prof- profession. Greater love has no man than he that will lay down his life for his friends. And the ones that are really strong have that conviction. Every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. I remember at the depth of one of my deepest valleys, I was terrified. I called Chuck Smith for advice. got on the phone. Chuck, what do I do if I'm really frightened? What do you do when you're really terrified? The answer came, Rabbi. Right Focus on the love of God. Sounds such a cliche, doesn't it? No. Focus on the fact that God is and He loves you and He's in, he's in control. That, that takes care of it all. If you really believe that? And uh, they gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. Oh boy, there's no fear in love. The perfect love casteth out fear. First John 4, 18. Read the whole epistle of John for that matter. Continuing here, verse 7. Shall they escape by iniquity in thine anger? Cast down the people, O God. Thou tellest my wanderings. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. This idea of gathering tears in a bottle, we don't do that in our culture, but they did in the ancient cultures. They even had sometimes little wine, little flasks and stuff, and often they would bury it with the person or at a funeral or stuff. That was, a, that was a, a practice in ancient times, and he's speaking here idiomatically, of course, but put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? Can you cry without God, outside God's knowledge? Of course not. Now a sparrow can fall to the ground, it doesn't know about the very hairs on your head are numbered. I defy you to match that. Do you know how many hairs are on your head? Anyone? Every time I take a shower, I have see the inventory drops a little bit here. <laughs> but he knows. He knows. When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. Wow. What comfort that is. And uh God knows every trip you take. God is taking note of it all. And uh, Matthew Henry likes to say, the tears of God's persecuted people are bottled up and sealed among God's treasures. I think that's interesting. In God will I praise his word. In the Lord will I praise his word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Thy vows are upon me, O God, I will render praises to thee. Verse 10 here repeats verse 4. You think it's the same verse. Not exactly. Verse 4 used Elohim, the creator God. Here it used Yehovah, yod the covenant name of God. A more intimate one in a sense. And of course... <laughs> Not be afraid of man. It reminds you of Romans 8.31. If God before us, who can be against us? Paul exclaims in, his, in Romans chapter 8. That masterpiece of, in the New Testament is really an echo of these same things. Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Will not thou deliver my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? Paul says a similar thing in Galatians 5. You walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And uh, the, dealing with the present tense of salvation. Salvation has three tenses. Past tense separating you from the penalty of sin. Present tense separating you from the power of sin. And the future tense is separating you from the presence of sin. But you have the power over sin if you walk by the Spirit. And uh, the way Hal likes to, Hal Lindsey likes to summarize Chapter 6 and 7, it ain't going to rain no more. R-E-I-G-N. Sin will no longer reign in your life. Yeah, you may stumble here and there, but, but uh, it no longer will have control over your life. Romans 6, walking one step at a time. Okay, that's a little psalm. There's a whole bunch of short ones here we're doing this. So psalm 57. Now, after he fled from Gath, from the Philistines, faintly pretending to be insane, he went to the cave of Adullam and... Uh, all that's in 1 Samuel 22, if you're interested in a historical note there. And after that, he would move to, to a cave in Gedi, and uh, 1 Samuel 24 and so forth. So, to the chief musician, al the victim of David, when he fled from Saul in the cave. These, some of these terms here are, uh, the, the word uh, al means destroy not. And we don't know what that really means. It may have been a popular, a commonly known melody, uh, there's all kinds of speculations. We really have no idea what was intended, to c- that was intended to communicate to the chief musician. It may be some kind of obscure uh, musical term. We don't know for sure. But we do know that occasionally is when he fled from Saul in the cave. And uh, so he spent a lot of time in the caves in and Gedi near the Dead Sea, uh, which is below sea level, very hot in the summer. In the winter, it's delightful, but in the rest of the year, it's pretty hot there. And the cave of Adullam is also in that same area. And uh, so, this is, many, many scholars believe it's in that region that many, many of our Psalms were composed. David's quite a guy, a warrior, a king, and a poet, songwriter. And not just casually, he, he, he was the primary songwriter. Okay, first verse, be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in Thee. Boy. Easily said, but do we really? I think God finds a new way every day to ask you, do you trust me? David says, My soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. Great, great prayer. In thee will one of the things that got me through the academy experience and all that was Psalm 91. I carried it with me. One of the last things when I left home to get into the academy experience, my pastor said, gave me that. Remember Psalm 91 when you're in trouble? And I I did. In fact, my wife and I keep it on a key ring, even today. We'll get there, not Psalm 91. I'm getting ahead of the game here, okay. In the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge. And uh, it's too bad the nations didn't do the same thing. The nation did not do that. That's why Jesus, in, in Matthew 23, just before the end of the chapter, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered thy hens like under, under, thy wing, under my wings. That's an idiom, obviously. David said, under the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. Fabulous. Fabulous. Israel has yet to really come under his wings and trust him. He shall send from heaven. He shall save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up, Selah. Selah, again, is a thought connector, a pause to reflect and connect.
1: You've been listening to 6640 the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org or you can call us on 1-800-KHOUSE1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit Institute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, May God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.